powered by Clear Vision Development Group. This is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Welcome to the program where 2021 just has to be better than 2020, right? Today on the program, my special guest is Michelle Seiler Tucker, a business M&A expert. You've got to get yourself ready for a master class in buying and selling a business. Stand by, Michelle's going to teach us all, and I'm going to be showcasing culture this month in our leadership and business lesson a little later on. That's all today on Better Than Before, brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. The 2021 Subaru Forester, a spacious interior with everything you need for confidence on the road ahead. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus 33 miles per gallon. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. It's the SUV for all you love. Test drive one of these today and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. My guest today is Michelle Seiler-Tucker, the founder and CEO of Seiler-Tucker Incorporated. She's a 20-year veteran in mergers and acquisitions and has sold hundreds of businesses. She owns and operates several successful companies and holds the following professional designations and certifications. Merger and Acquisition Master Intermediary, Certified Senior Business Analyst, Certified Mergers and Acquisitions Professional, Certified Business Broker, Panelist for M&A Source, Keynote Speaker, and more. And she's also the best-selling author of the book, Um, sell your business for more than it's worth. Wouldn't we all want to do that? And her new book is called Exit Rich. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on. In addition to being featured in Inc. Magazine, Forbes, and USA, Michelle makes regular radio and television appearances on Fox Business News and CNBC. She's spoken alongside many prominent speakers, Eric Trump, Kathy Ireland, Rudy Giuliani, Donna Karen, and the list goes on and on. She shares her wealth of experience with prospective M&A advisors by conducting multiple training, mentoring, and partnering programs. 
Now, over the years, as she's done these programs, it's helped many individuals become successful M&A advisors and business brokers, and she's recognized as the leading authority on buying, selling, fixing, and growing businesses. She sees opportunity where many are discouraged or have given up. Her passion is to save businesses that might otherwise close, and by identifying and correcting top business mistakes that owners make, she will fine-tune a business into a well-oiled machine, sometimes investing her own money to help owners build their businesses. Her primary objective is to sell for huge profits. Michelle Seiler Tucker's remarkable track record proves her dedication to her clients and has solidified her as a formidable force in her industry. She closes nearly 98%, 98% of all written offers and on average obtains 20 to 40% above asking price for her clients. And through this process, she empowers her clients to afford the lifestyles they have always dreamed of and most importantly, deserve. It's my great honor to have today as my special guest, Michelle Seiler Tucker. Welcome to Better Than Before. Thank you, Tony. That's a mouthful, huh? That bio is a mouthful. I need to shorten it a little bit. <laughs> Thanks for reading that. Yeah, that's okay. I wanted everybody to know that we got, you know, a certified expert on the line here. And especially when people are very concerned about their businesses. And um, they probably every business owner thinks from time to time about selling their business. Or maybe they're thinking about growing through making another acquisition or something. So those are all things we're going to talk about today. But first... Um, thank you for doing this today. And tell me a little bit about your first attraction to business. How did you get interested in business in general as a young person? Yeah. So, you know, I don't know what really sparked my interest as a young person. Um, I wasn't your typical child. I didn't play with toys or dolls like most girls did. I walked around with a notebook and a pen and would write, ask everybody a million questions. <laughs> so my mom's like, she's going to be the next Barbara Walters. And um, so I always had an interest in people. I always wanted to know everything about that person. And as I kind of grew up, my dad did own his own business. So I might've got a little bit of entrepreneurship from him, but um, I always had an interest in having my own business. I've owned many businesses. I've owned publishing companies, event businesses. Etc. And then I got kind of got caught in um, corporate America. I started working at Xerox Corporation, Fortune 500 company. I'm sure you've heard of it. And I started off in sales. They actually recruited me. And very quickly, uh, my nickname became the closer because when somebody couldn't close a deal, they would call me to come in and close the deal. Well, for years, uh, Xerox was known for its sales force. So it really was known for Salesforce and they, they had the best sales training really in the world. Mm -hmm. And it was a great experience working there. Um, within six months, so my manager came to me and she said, you need to apply for the regional vice president position overlooking about 95 salespeople throughout the South. And she says, you'll never get it, but you should apply for it. I'm like, well, why would I, why would I apply for something I'm never going to get? And she said, well, first of all, you've been here six months. Everybody else has been here for years. You're not going to get it because they've been here at seniority. So they've been here longer than you. She said, but you should do it anyway because of the experience. You'll learn more going through this experience than anything else. So I said, okay, I'll do it. And I did it. She was right. It was a grueling process. I did it for three months. And um, and um, the process for three months, we have to interview with the high-level executives, et cetera. I ended up getting the position. I beat everybody out of the position, which was really great. But then I hated it. 
because <laughs> I'm not selling business. I wasn't selling anymore. I wasn't selling equipment. I wasn't dealing with my clients. I wasn't getting to know their problems and find solutions for them. And that's what I love. I love solving customers' problems and, and coming up with solutions. So I was just, you know, there as a high-level executive, scheduling meetings to schedule meetings, to actually schedule another meeting to schedule a follow-up meeting. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm tired of meetings. But it was a six-figure position with great benefits. And I wanted to own something on the side. So I started looking for, for a franchise opportunity. I stumbled against a, across a franchise opportunity that had two locations. And my husband happened to know um, one of the owners. And so I approached him and said, look, I want to buy a franchise. I'm going to operate it on the side. And I said, no, we know of you. We know of your reputation. We know your husband. We don't want you to buy a franchise. We want you to partner with us and help us sell franchises and put us on the map. And then we'll give you a franchise. So I said, listen, you're not very successful. You have two locations. I'm not going to quit my you know, six-figure position for a company that really hasn't been successful. I said, but I'll try it for six months. So I did that, did it for six months, kept my, kept my job at Xerox, worked nights and weekends, made more money in six months than the entire year. So anyway, I ended up leaving Xerox. And that started my franchise development, franchise consulting, franchise sales career. And they did what most companies do. They focus on growth, growth, growth but then they don't build a solid foundation to handle the expansion. Mm -hmm. So then their, their, their palace begin to crumble and um, they started overpromising and under-delivering, which is a huge problem. And I was friends with my franchisees. So I'm taking their side. They're my clients. Well, they got upset with me because they said, well, you're a partner. I said, well, I don't care if I'm a partner. We have to make this right. You know? And we just obviously didn't see eye to eye, didn't have the same values. Our values weren't aligned. And I said, well, buy me out. And so anyway, uh, they ended up buying me out and I said, well, what am I going to do next? And then that's when I transitioned into selling companies for smaller businesses. And um, then I transitioned to selling larger businesses, 10 million and up. Then very quickly, I learned if I want to stay successful and I want to eat because you basically, you know, eat what you kill in this business. I have to fix these companies <laughs> because eight out of 10 are not going to sell. And according to Steve Forbes, they're not going to sell. Steve Forbes endorsed, endorsed our book, Exit Rich. So I started fixing them. So now I specialize in buying, selling, fixing, growing companies. I will partner with business owners to help save their business, to help build their business to sell, You know, investing my money for competencies, expertise. I bought businesses and flipped businesses. And of course, we sell businesses. And my team and I, my company has actually sold over a thousand businesses. I've been doing this 20 years in the trenches. Wonderful. And as a business coach and an executive coach, you know, I, I just try to help them make it better, you know, whether they're thinking about selling or whether they're thinking about they're going to operate it from now till eternity. But I can imagine what, what you do, that that's a lot of fun. I mean, uh, yeah. going in and, and fixing a business and looking at it, it's, it's like fixing up a, a home or a house or an apartment or something like that, it seems like to me. What was your first company that you worked with? Did I sew? Yes. What was that like? The first company I ever sewed, oh my gosh, I have two nightmare stories. <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I thought selling businesses was going to be like selling franchises, right? Nowhere close to it. If you sell an existing franchise, that's very close to selling a business. But I was selling new franchises. Selling something new, a new franchise, is nothing like selling an existing business. But my first one, two stories. Um, one was a flower shop, small flower shop, probably my first deal. And I went, I got, you know, I went to an attorney that could do the closing. 
And I said, and the landlord was out of the country. And I said, well, listen, I don't think we can close because we don't have the lease. We can't get the lease until they return. He goes, oh no, we can close. We don't need that. And I'm like, you really need a lease to close? He's like, no, you don't. You can do this. You can use this document, you know, transition of lease or whatever. And I'm like, okay. So I went ahead and set up the closing, went to the closing table, attorneys there. They go through all the closing documents, sign everything. And then he goes, and then they go, well, where's the lease? We got to sign the lease. And I said, oh, well, the attorney said, we don't need a lease. And attorney goes, I never said that. You have to have a lease. You can't mm -hmm. close without a lease. That attorney gave me terrible information oh. and then buried me. Oh. <laughs> Oh, man. I mean, it's not like it was all my fault. I bet that was a one-time mistake. That was a one-time mistake. Now I don't listen to attorneys. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a bad advice. Not bad advice at all. Yeah, now I do my due diligence and check to make sure they're, they're correct. And um, then I had, then I sold a bar slash restaurant. This is a pretty famous place. They actually did deep fried, they're not in business anymore, but they did deep fried hamburgers, deep oh, fried hamburgers. And they were pretty famous for that. They're a feature on all kinds of different magazines and, and news stories. Um, but anyway, so I'm the buyer and seller, I set up a buyer and seller meeting. The buyer shows up way before I do. And I'm early. I'm like 40, 30 minutes early. They start drinking together. Mm. And say no more. They're really drinking, drinking, drinking. And then they start negotiating with each other. I'm like, no, I'm like, stop negotiating. <laughs> Number one, stop talking numbers. Stop negotiating. Number one, you've been drinking. Number two, we're not going to negotiate here. This is not what this meeting is for. So then the, the seller goes, oh, she's just upset because um, she's just upset because I can negotiate with you and I can, uh, you can buy the business from me and I won't have to pay her a commission. And I said, what do you mean you won't have to pay me a commission? He said that right there at the table in front of the buyer. And I said, what do you mean you won't have to pay me a commission? He goes, oh, because I don't own the business and I'm the one who signed the agreement, but I don't, I don't own the business. My wife over there owns the business and we have a separate property agreement. And I said, and he says, so I don't owe a commission. I said, well, I got one better for you. And he goes, what's that? And I said, you signed a personal guarantee and you guarantee the performance of this contract. So I'll go after you personally. He goes, Michelle, I'm just joking. I'm just joking. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, but now he's I'm to just behind joking. my back and negotiate the deal without me and cut me out. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I, I, I do not like that behavior at all in, in any kind of business situation. I um, agree. So that's why I stopped doing small deals. Yeah. <laughs> so now I do deals 10 million and up, you know, we're working on businesses, 40, 50, 60, $70 million. Yeah. You, you do typically find the larger the client, the less the headache. Um, let me ask you this question. What about your favorite deal you've ever done? Favorite deal. Gosh, that's tough too. Um, because I've done so many deals and, you know, I had one gentleman that um, I was selling a medical exam company for him and he actually had a heart attack and I went to the hospital bed with him. Unfortunately, I had to get him to sign the LOI at the hospital bed, but I was by his side. I went to his house all the time, checked on him, made sure he was okay. And he wrote me like the best letter ever, but that's probably one of my best, um, clients probably one of my best deals because i really helped him he ended up dying passing away but i ended up helping him transition out of that business because his family didn't want any part of it and it would have been a huge burden for them to have to deal with along with his passing away yeah. isn't it nice when clients are not only 
uh, living up to their end of the deal, but they go above and beyond to appreciate you for what you do. Isn't that nice? It really does. You know, some, some, some don't, but, but many do. Um, and I, and I've got so many great stories like that, that I could go on and on and on telling you about sure. so many, you know, heart wrenching stories, um, that I've had, you know, that I've had, I've had people cry at my birthday party saying that I not only saved their business, but saved their life and saved their marriage and saved their family home. Yeah. It's very fulfilling when, when people are appreciative of, of the help that, that you provide. So tell me a little, tell me a little bit about the business, what you call the business life cycle. Yes. So the business life cycle is the business life cycle is the same as a human life cycle. So a business idea goes into the incubator, right? I call it the incubator. 98% of ideas never make it out of the incubator. 98% of the business startups, the, you know, um, thought ideas never really make it out of the incubator. But if they do make it out of the incubator, then they go into what I call the newborn stage. So just like a human, your, your baby's in the incubator, you're a newborn, then you become a toddler. So if they make it out of the incubator, then they're a newborn. And what does a newborn need? You know, lots everything. Of, lots of everything. <laughs> everything. Same thing with a business. They need lots of capital, right? Lots of hand-holding, you know, lots of nurturing, lots of um, quality, lots of core competencies, just like a newborn baby. They need everything. They're not doing anything on their own. Same thing with a, a newborn business, not doing anything on their own. Then they go through what I call, and I use the Toys R Us story to really um, give this example because, you know, Toys R Us had an idea that was in the incubator. Then they were a newborn and like one or two stores. And then you become a toddler. So a toddler, you know, you can start to feed yourself. You can start to walk, but you make a mess. (laughs) And obviously you're not self-sufficient, right? And obviously you need, you still need a lot of money. You need a lot of hand-holding. You need a lot of um, supervision. So then you make it from the toddler to the, um, to the teenager. Now, what's a teenager? They're starting to take care of themselves. They can do some, uh, lots of things on themselves, but they're rebellious, right? They don't listen. <laughs> they want to do everything on their own. A little unwieldy. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. And so they still need a lot of supervision as well, but not as much as a toddler. And then they make it to what I call a um, young adult, adult stage. And that's when a business is in its prime. That's when a business is really, 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 really doing well. It's operating on, on all what I call the six P's in Exit Rich that we'll talk about later. Sure. But it's really doing well. It's making a profit. It's operating on all six cylinders. And the business is doing great. I mean, when Toys R Us was in it, when, when it, they were in their prime day, in their prime, they were worth billions. Then, though, you go from young adult to what? Uh, elderly. Then senior citizen. You are correct. So what senior citizen need? They're like, we're brought back to a child, right? Almost everything. <laughs> they need lots of everything. They need lots of everything again. Yeah. <laughs> Got to change your diapers. <laughs> but they need lots of everything again. They need lots of supervision. Then after young adult, and this is what happened with Toys R Us. Toys R Us was at their prime when they were in the adult stage. Then very quickly, within two years, two years in their senior citizen stage, they filed bankruptcy and they closed down all their stores. And then what do you have after senior citizen? They died. Sears and JCPenney are on the verge of, right? 
Exactly. Now you do have what you don't really have in human life. Well, some other people might disagree with me, <laughs> but what you have is rebirth in a business. A brand can be rebirthed. Yes. Toys R Us right now is being rebirthed. The problem with Toys R Us and the reason why many of these businesses like JCPenney's, Toys R Us, Blockbuster, um, Kmart, Stymart, go out of business is because they stop AIM. Hmm. AIM means always innovate and market. Yes. Always innovate and market. Toys R Us did the same concept for 60 years. 60 years, they did the same thing. They never innovated. Mm -hmm. So that's the life cycle. Yeah, you, bec you become irrelevant. Uh, and and you lose you lose your meaning because you're not constantly reinventing and uh, and innovating like you say. And the market the market changes, but you don't. And the 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 larger the gap between where the market is and where you just stayed in the same place, the harder that is. Right. Amen. Amen. And the reason the market changes is because it's called competition. Mm -hmm. You have competition that comes in like Amazon. And Amazon says, hey, I'm going to make it really easy for you to buy from me. You can buy anything you want and I'll deliver it to you in two days. You don't have to. You don't have to leave your house. You don't have to get dressed. You don't have to go in your car. You don't have to fight traffic. You don't have to look for a parking spot. You don't have to walk in a store and deal with COVID. <laughs> and that starts to change customer behavior, right? Absolutely. So, so Amazon started changing customer behavior years ago so buyers don't buy products and services the way they used to and guess what else changed behavior covid has now changed behavior oh you bet see if you agree with this too um we used to think of competition as people who were in our same space but now um customers start comparing how you deliver to them that's the competitive thing right so if if uh, well, even back when FedEx could get you something overnight, right? They start mm -hmm. thinking, well, why can't you get it to me overnight if FedEx can? Or why can't I, why can't I use you the same way I use them? Yeah, and, and that, absolutely. That creates problems for you. I had a guy on who is an e-commerce and a telecommunications expert here a few weeks ago, and he said it's inertia. The business owner or the CEO or whatever just doesn't want to change. They want to keep it the same, and it's absolutely the opposite of what you need to do. It is the opposite. And that's why businesses go out of business. And the business landscape has changed dramatically. It used to be when I wrote my first book in 2013, Sell Your Business for More Than It's Worth, you know, I did the research and 85 to 95% of all startups will go out of business, right? You know that. We all yeah. know that. That's common knowledge. Sure. However, when I wrote Exit Rich in 2019 and I did the same research, I learned that the business landscape had flip-flopped. Now it's only 30% of those startups will go out of business. But listen to this. Out of 27.6 million companies, 27.6 million companies, those businesses have been in business 10 years or longer. 70% of those businesses will now go out of business. Oh. 70%. Oh, my. Yes, it's staggering. I used to put up a slide in my presentations when I uh, would go speak, and I would have a graphic of all the S&P 500 companies that mm -hmm. have gone out of business in the last 10 years. and. People in the audience would go, oh, yeah, I forgot all about them. <laughs> well, that, that, that was the beginning of their problem, right? Exactly. And here's the deal. You, you hear about the big box stores, the public companies, just like you said, the SOP. You hear about them, 
like Toys R Us and Kmart and Steinmart and Pier One and all these companies. But guess what you're not hearing about? All the small private companies on every street corner in every town in every state across our great nation. Yep. Unfortunately, many of these business owners are dropping like flies and nobody ever talks about it. And they're being forced to close for sell for pennies on a dollar, close their business, or even worse, file bankruptcy. And you know what? When we lose small business, we lose our economy because small business employs half the U.S. workforce, which is a backbone of our U.S. economy. We have to save small business. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more, Michelle. Well, while, while profit isn't everything in business, it is, I would think, the driving reason why you are in business to make a profit. But you say there are at least 10 big mistakes people make where profit is concerned. Would you mind mentioning a few of those? Of course. And so profit is very important. But here's the deal. Profit is never the problem. Yes. Let me repeat that. Profit is never, ever the problem. It is the symptom of not operating on one of the six P's. So I'm going to tie in the 10 profit mistakes right. with the six P's and kill two birds with one stone. Sounds good. <laughs> so one of the big mistakes that business owners make is they try to do everything. And they are the business. You cannot sell a business if the business is dependent upon that owner, because once I take the owner out, there is no more business. So the biggest mistake the business owners make is they're working in the business and not on the business. They're trying to do everything themselves and they don't hire their weaknesses. So number one is people. It's very important to have the right people in the right seats. You don't build a business. You build people and people build the business. So you have to have the right people in the right seat and you have to ask the who question. Who in your business opens up the doors? Who handles manufacturing? Who handles distribution? Who handles legal disputes? Who handles accounting? And guess what, Tony? Your name should never be next to the who. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that's a clue. Never put your name next to the who. So that's one of the biggest mistakes is that business owners don't have the right people in the right seats and they're doing too much. When you're doing too much, you're losing a lot of stuff. You're losing profits because you cannot do everything. It's impossible. So, so the other mistake that business owners make, and we talked about it already a little bit, is they stop innovating. They stop creating. And here's the bottom line. You just mentioned it. Consumers want it now. They want it. They want what they want and they want it yesterday. And they become very demanding because competition has created that demand. And if FedEx can overnight it, why can't you? Right. Just like you said. Yep. So product, product is a second mistake, a second P. But a lot of business owners make mistakes with products because they stop innovating. And you have to ask yourself, is your industry on the way up or on the way out? Do you have an Amazon or do you have a Blockbuster? And they stop asking questions, Tony. And you can always tell the intelligence of someone by the questions they ask. And business owners become transactional and they stop being transformational. You don't change in transaction. You change in transformation. So in product, they make a lot of mistakes because the product that you created 10 years ago when you started your business is probably not what's in demand anymore. So you got to ask yourself, what business am I in? These are transformational questions. What business am I in right now? What do I do really, really well? What business should I be in? And I'll give you a quick example. Amazon did that. Amazon, when they started, what business were they in? Books. Books. And they asked themselves, what did we do very well? What did they do very well? Fulfillment. Yeah, they can fulfill it. So they were very good at fulfillment. So then they asked themselves the most important question. 
what business should we be in? And I said, we should be in fulfillment and we should be fulfilling everything. Yes. You can even buy a horse on Amazon now. <laughs> you can even get your prescriptions now. Exactly. So those three questions took Amazon from just a book company into a multi-billion dollar conglomerate. And they're the ones who change, help change consumers' habits, just like Apple. Apple changed the way that we connect, right? Right. Apple changed the way we do business. So you really have to be transformational and ask those questions. Now, here's another profit mistake is business owners don't think about processes until they have to. Most business owners haven't really designed the process with the customer experience in mind. Do you know what I mean by that? Absolutely. Yeah. They, they're, yeah, they're just thinking about the goods and services. They're not thinking about the process around it. Right. And if you have unhappy customers because your process is not efficient and productive, then you're not going to be in business very long. So most people never think about processes. Did you ever watch the movie The Founder with McDonald uh, Brothers? Yeah, Michael Keaton. Yes. Yep. So you have the McDonald Brothers who started McDonald's. Everybody thinks Ray Kroc started McDonald's. Ray Kroc did not start McDonald's. The McDonald Brothers started McDonald's. So do you remember um, back in the 40s, the McDonald's brothers said, we want, to, we want to start a restaurant. Well, the restaurants that they had back in the 40s were the drive-up ones where people came out on roller skates. The order was always wrong, always code, and it took forever. Yep. So McDonald's brothers said, here's our objective, here's our mission. We want to create a fast food restaurant that serves quality, great tasting food in two minutes and less, under two minutes. We're going to design our processes with that customer experience in mind, right? Right. So then they go to empty tennis court and they take all their employees to empty tennis court. They map it all out. They map it all out. They race it. They put it back. And then they design, they design right then and there who's going to take the order, who's going to toast the buns, who's going to cook the burgers, who's going to put the pickles on the bun, and who's going to deliver it to the client. That process designed with the customer experience in mind is efficient. It's productive. It's well-documented. All the employees are trained on it, which is why you can go to McDonald's in Hong Kong, Singapore, New Zealand, USA, and have the same experience everywhere. You bet. And that's a big mistake that business owners make. They don't document, they don't think about processes. They don't design it with the customer experience in mind. And I can tell you this, Tony, it's kind of shocking to me. We have some businesses we're selling in the 40, 50, 60 million range. They don't even have policy procedure manuals. Oh, listen, I used to have a client that had something like 75 different offices in all these towns, and every one of them was different. You yeah. know, every one of them delivered different. Every one of them had different things they did. Some of them used a different accounting system than what the company wanted them to use. I mean, it was a nightmare. That is a nightmare. So that is a big profit mistake. And then number four, let me give you another huge profit mistake. And I'm going to center this one around the fourth P, which is called proprietary. So the larger your brand, as long as, and you said this earlier, Tony, and this is a big buzzword, as long as your brand is still relevant, right. relevant yes. <laughs> in the mind of the consumer, is your brand valuable, right? That's right. So the biggest brand in the world, do you know what the biggest brand is? Coca-Cola. They're 89 billion. They're not the biggest. Uh, well, it'd be Apple, I guess. Apple, $389 billion. So build your brand and then you can really exit rich. But here's a big mistake, big profit mistake. When business owners start a business, Tony, they typically get, they, they come up with a business name and they go to the state and they get a state trademark, right? Right. They don't go on the government website. 
they don't make sure it's available through the government and make sure it's available federally. You gotta go get a federal trademark. So here's what happens. They start their business 10 years later, they receive a cease and desist letter. And a lot of business owners will just throw money at it, think it's gonna go away. It doesn't go away because <laughs> if somebody else owns that trademark, they're gonna win no matter what. So now you just spent thousands upon thousands of dollars, which is a profit mistake. And now you gotta change your company name and rebrand all over again. Yeah. Because you didn't spend a $1,700 to get a federal trademark. Big mistake. That's huge. Here's another mistake around proprietary. A lot of um, inventors create products, but they don't get patents. And a lot of people say, well, patents are highly overrated because then you can knock them off. That's not true. We sold a company for $18 million that had 18 patents. Patents are extremely valuable. And then contracts. So here's another mistake that business owners make is Contracts are very valuable. Manufacturing, vendor, distribution, exclusive contracts. The most valuable of all contracts are client contracts. Yes. But here's a mistake. You got to have a two-sentence transferability clause in that contract. If you don't have that transferability clause, then your biz, then the deal is going to fall apart because 99.9% .9 of all deals are asset sales. Yeah. Huge mistake. Um, and so then, you know, another mistake, um, and I'll center this around the fifth P, which is Patreons. They have a lot of business owners have customer concentration. I once um, helped an advertising agency that specialized in casinos. And they have five clients. They were worth about $10 million. They wanted to sell. In that process, they lost three of the five because they decided to bring in an in-house marketing team but they still had all the high expensive marketing talent that they had to have for the other two casinos. Do you think they lost profit? Oh my gosh, <laughs> like a sieve. So I ended up having a merger with another advertising company. I, I found another advertising company that had the opposite problem. They had lots of clients and no talent. <laughs> so I merged the two of them together. And then the last P is profits and the profit mistake. So. Profit is never the problem. It's always the symptom of not operating on one of the other five Ps, not having the right people in place, not have, being in the right industry, having the right product, not having the right processes, you know, not protecting your proprietary and not having the right patron, um, diversified clientele. So profits is never the problem. It's always a symptom. But here's profit mistakes. Have checks and balances in your business. Don't let the person who gets the mail, does the deposits, writes the checks. You know, I've seen so much embezzlement in different companies because there's no, there's trust, but no verified. And there's, you know, I'll give you this. You should always inspect what you expect. So you got to make sure that you have those checks and balances in place so you don't lose money because somebody's stealing from you. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And let me tell you something. I have one co company, one owner's business I sold. He was embezzled five different times. And I caught the CPA, in-house CPA, embezzling money from him during due diligence. So have those checks and balances, but you lose money because you're not keeping your eye on your KPIs. Always know your KPIs, key performance indicators. You know, Michelle, I ran a company. This is embarrassing, but I'm going to go ahead and admit it. <laughs> I'm going to admit it anyway. I ran a company that one time we hired a salesperson or the sales department did who had no driver's license. Because we didn't ask for documents, we didn't, you know, do due diligence f fully on all the paperwork and all that. 
Because you didn't have processes. Yes. It, it, well, we had some. They weren't very good. And, um, and so th- this was a, a company that depended a lot on street-level salespeople with large geographies. And uh, the person had ridden a bicycle to the interview, but the interviewers didn't know that. Um, mm. Just because they didn't have a checklist or uh, some kind of a process to go by to make sure that all their candidates had everything they needed to perform the job. So yeah. exactly what you're saying is, uh, you know, especially in the process part of it. Yeah, and I'll take it one step further because, you know, a lot of companies, Tony, will have these big um, policy and procedure manuals per department. It's very hard to keep up with that. What you really also need is to drill down and have a SOP, Standard Operating Procedure Checklist. And what we do is we have it, you know, for each one of our departments. But you just need a simple SOP that's a checklist. So in that instance, you would have an SOP checklist for the interviewers to check off each one to make sure that they got it all because, you know, people are human. They make mistakes and, you know, that, that's why you got to let your policy and procedure manuals and your SOP checklist do the training and, and do the reprimanding. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, do you have any final thoughts for our listeners as far as, you know, what, what they should maybe be thinking about if they want to grow their business or sell their business? Yeah. The big thing I always tell business owners is, don't wait because the biggest mistake that I see business owners making is they never plan their exit. They don't think about selling their business until they have to due to an internal or external catastrophic event. You know, internal could be death of, of a partner or death of a spouse, health issues. I had a sweet little old lady call me a while back and her husband had a heart attack, died. He had a contracting business. He was a general contractor and their business didn't run on the six piece. They didn't have any employees in place. They didn't have anything in place that they really should have. And she didn't know what to do. So it's really important to set up your spouse and your family for success and make sure you plan your business and plan it on all six cylinders. So if you need to sell it, you have a sellable business, but you should follow what I call the ST GPS exit model. So the GPS exit model, I'll tell you listeners really quickly is when you start or buy a business, and even if you've been in business for a while, it doesn't matter. Determine your destination, you know? Determine your end game. Every day we get in our car, we determine where we want to drive, right? right? Every day. Right. But how many of us determine where we want to drive our business to? <laughs> Nobody. So you got to determine your end game. What is your sales price? Your desired sales price. What do you want to sell for? If you want to sell for $10 million, then plan on a $10 million company. Right. But once you plan your destination, then what do you need to know? You need to know where you're starting from. You need to know your current location, your current valuation. And most business owners never know what their business is worth. They'll get annual health checkups. They'll get car checkups, but they never get a business checkup. So you need to know where you're starting from. So you say, if I want to sell for 10 million, I'm starting at 5 million. I'm worth 5 million today. I want to sell in five years. Well, that's doable. Five years. Okay, then who's my buyers? There's five types of buyers. Well, if you want to sell a $10 million business, it's not going to be a first-time buyer and it's not going to be a turnaround specialist. It's going to be either a strategic or competitor that's going to buy you because they're buying your synergies or it's going to buy be a sophisticated entrepreneur who's buying cash flow, EBITDA, or it's going to be a private equity group. So those will be your three buyers. And then most importantly, know your why. Why do you want to sell for $10 million? Because if it was easy to sell for $10 million, everybody would be doing it. Absolutely. So that's the STGPS exit model. And if I could just get more businesses to plan 
then we would have more less business failures. Absolutely. Michelle Seiler Tucker, business MA expert. And if you have not figured out by now the bio that I read for you when we started all this, she knows what she's talking about, right? So can we tell them where to get the book? Yeah. Let me come back to that in just a second. I got these quick questions I want to ask you, these rapid fire questions we ask every guest who comes on the show. So just to get people to maybe know you a little bit better, and then we'll talk about the book and your website and all that. How's that sound? Awesome. Okay, here's the first question. What's the best memory that immediately comes to mind for you in your life? My daughter. What's her name? Arabella Oceana Tucker. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> Who's the number one hero in your life? My husband. His name? Rick Tucker. Great. What's the top value you subscribe to? Under promise, over deliver. What's the most important person in your life? My daughter <laughs> and my husband. If he's listening, I better say my husband. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. What's your favorite thing in the whole world? Doing deals. Help, you know, selling people's legacy, helping people realize their dreams. Wonderful. What's your favorite food? Oh, that's a tough one. I'm in New Orleans. Mm, um, I love New Orleans food. Oh my gosh, that's a tough one. I, I love lobster. <laughs> lobster and steak. I mean, you can't hardly eat any Cajun food after you've been to New Orleans. I mean, you can't right. settle for much else, you know. Even the hotels have wonderful food. I mean, it's it's great. What is the most beautiful place you've ever been to? Oh my gosh, I'd have to say Amsterdam, the tulips. Mm. The tulips bloom in April, and it literally is the most beautiful thing I've ever seen. If you could describe success in one word, what would the word be? Two words, raving fans. Okay. How do you want to be remembered? <laughs> that I made a difference in someone's life. That I helped save someone's business, their marriage, their life, their personal assets. <laughs> that I made a difference. If you could go back and give some advice to a very young Michelle, what would the advice be? Um, get a mentor earlier. Find a mentor, somebody who's been down your road, who's done where, who's been where you want to go. It doesn't have to be in your specific industry, but somebody who's been very extremely successful. Do that earlier. What's your favorite sound? My favorite sound? Um, sound of money. <laughs> <laughs> Cash register. <laughs> and finally, of all the lessons you've learned, what's the best lesson? Never give up. Michelle Seiler Tucker. She uh, has... A couple of books. One is out now, and it's called "Sell Your Business Far More for More Than It's Worth." And her latest book is called "Exit Rich." Tell everybody about this book, Michelle. Yeah, so "Exit Rich" is is the book that I encourage everybody to to go and purchase. We're in the middle of pre-sales right now, so you don't have to wait till the book comes out. You can go to exitrichbook.com. Now, the book is available everywhere. It's going to be available on Amazon, Hudson, Books a Million. But if you go to exitrichbook.com, you can get the book, less expensive, $24.79, which includes shipping. Plus, you will get a lifetime membership at our Exit Rich Book Club. Hmm. And that lifetime membership includes me doing video trainings of how to build a sustainable, scalable, and sellable business where I do deep dives. Plus, most importantly... If you've never seen an employee handbook or an organizational chart, or you've never seen what a letter of intent looks like or due diligence checklist or closing docs, all of those documents in there to build a scalable, sellable, and sellable business are in there. 
You can review them and you can even download them. Plus, you would get 30 days membership in the club CEOs, which is a like-minded um, entrepreneurial organization where we do hot seats, Q&As, and masterminds where we ask those transformational questions because all it takes is one question, one tweak, and you could be the next Amazon. You can learn a lot from your peers. That's fantastic. Exit Rich is the name of the book. Now, if they just want to learn more about you also, you have a website also, right? I do, but if they text if they text Michelle, Tony, to 888-367-0066, they get all of my websites and my social media. Everything just pops up, so everything will be at their fingertips. Oh, great. Well, you're obviously a very busy person, very successful person. I really appreciate you taking the time to visit with us and help educate our listeners today. Thank you, Tony. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. I hope you'll come back sometime. I got a lot more. I would love to come back. I got a lot more questions. So I want to add one thing. My co-author is Sharon Lecter, oh, who wrote Rich Dad, Poor Dad with Robert Kiyosaki. Ah. So she's a New York Times bestselling author. Plus, she wrote several books in the Napoleon Hill Foundation, Think and Grow Rich. And she is a financial literacy expert, plus a CPA, plus an advisor to many different presidents. Oh, good. Well, I get down to New Orleans every now and then. And next time I come down, I'm going to call you and ask about where I need to go. No, you're going to call me. I'm going to take you to dinner. Oh, all right. We'll do that. <laughs> we'll do that, too. Well, listen, Michelle, thanks a bunch for everything. And uh, we'll hope to talk to you again soon. Thanks, Tony. It's been a pleasure. Stand by. I've got a leadership and business lesson for you next on Better Than Before. The 2021 Subaru Forester. A spacious interior with everything you need for confidence on the road ahead. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus 33 miles per gallon. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. It's the SUV for all you love. Test drive one of these today and you could drive one home tonight. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. See dealer for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. I'm Tony Richards. This month, we are showcasing culture in your business. And today, I'm going to talk about five signs of a stagnant culture. Now, many executives try to make a new start inside an organization with a clear vision and an emphasis on teamwork. But sooner or later, they find out that the current work environment, which we call workplace climate, has lost its positive energy and has become stagnant. You may still have a very clear vision for direction, but the atmosphere inside the organization has become as muggy as a humid day in Houston, Texas. In these types of organizations, the road you want to travel may still be mapped out very clearly, but the conditions of the road may be dirt with ruts and holes. That's the kind of road you'll have to proceed very slowly on, hardly the surface for a high-performance vehicle. 
According to a Bain and Company survey of 365 companies in Europe, Asia, and North America, 81% believe that a company lacking a high-performance culture is doomed to mediocrity or worse. Fewer than 10% succeed in building one. Here's some things you should be looking for to identify stagnation in your workplace environment. Number one, the leadership team sees staff members as numbers and not people. They're valuable when they're producing, but less valuable when they're not. So coaching goes out the window. It becomes more directional. And when people don't respond, leadership gets frustrated. All praise is based on performance and very little on conduct, character, or values. Number two, staff members tolerate their leaders, but there's no trust or respect present. They will still do their work in begrudging compliance, but only the most ambitious among them will invest themselves in the success of the organization. Number three, the only people recognized as the top performers are the same people who were recognized 5, 10, 15 years ago. The same people keep getting the same recognition and the same awards. Number four, with no trust, respect, or loyalty present, people will defend what they feel they can, which turns into silos and turf wars. Relatively small problems scale up to paralyzing situations. And finally, number five, the leadership team knows there's a lack of enthusiasm and they're not happy about it, so they start treating staff members like unruly teenagers, putting in limiting measures and rules. They may try many things to control them, but nothing seems to work. Now, when you try to correct some of these issues, the leadership team may try to send people to conferences, seminars, or events, hire trainers to come in to do classes, but the people from top to bottom are still not willing to take responsibility for the climate and make significant change happen. There's a lot of they won't or why don't they phrases thrown around. It still continues to foster an environment of low expectations and low energy. You might even attract a few enthusiastic people who believe it's their personal mission to bring life to the organization, but after a few months, they too will slowly give up. Certainly, if you have a stagnant culture in your company, you already know you're not as successful as you desire to be, and if you become more authoritarian and controlling, it's going to get worse. Turning around a stagnant or toxic culture takes specialized care and approaches. Take heart, all is not lost. You just have to be willing to make some changes yourself because the change is always going to start with leadership. Be willing to make some changes in the organization and have a lot of time and a lot of patience. That's our show today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. From here, been here, always will be here. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm your host, Tony Richards, saying we'll see you next week. And remember, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.